0: Again, everyone, Matt Lachlan along with Amanda Stein. This is the Devils podcast, Road to the Draft. We call it as the Devils and all of hockey gets ready for the June twenty first first round, and then Saturday the rest of the draft takes place. But the Devils awfully excited because Jack Hughes or Capo Caco. Are at the top of the list, and Amanda, you were up in Buffalo. You were not. Oh, I well, was. You were. You were part of the last podcast, but Daniel took over yeah. as the co-host. You, of course, did an interview uh, with Mike Morial and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, what was it like up it, in Buffalo? So that
1: was like my first combine. I had never been to a combine before, and man, it is a grind. Like just as much as like the players are going through these interviews, it's like really quite a grind. And on the, my first day there, I, I went to go see where the Devils had set up, and they had their interview room, and so you're kind of like walking along the press box area and there's all these... Uh, prospects who are like waiting outside the individual team doors and just like some of them are like fidgeting on their phones some of them are just like pacing up and down it's just so funny to see how each different player is reacting to this moment that you know is a really big deal in their lives so it was funny to see these kids because they're kids they're 18 years old um, just go through this grueling process I mean some guys that I talked to said You know, they met with 27 teams over the span of two days. I mean, that's crazy to me just to be able to go in and go through that many interviews and just try to continually put your best foot forward. So it was really cool, and it was neat to get to know a lot of the players. You know, some will be with the Devils, some won't be with the Devils, but just to sort of get to know the draft class. And, um, yeah, it was great. It was a tough task.
0: (laughs) Did anybody stand out? somebody that maybe you met for the first time or just somebody who was really thoughtful in his responses um
1: i really liked the defenseman from the u.s national team or development program cam york he was just a really astute young man obviously i did get to that get the chance to talk with jack hughes who is really you know quite spectacular in the way he handles all the pressure of potentially, you know, being a number 1 pick or top 2 guy. He just guy. seems so chill, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's just so relaxed, but a lot of his teammates cuz there were I think 11 or 12 guys from the U- uh, U- US National Development Program who were participating in the combine, and it was just interesting to see how they all kind of had this same demeanor about themselves, just going through the process, appreciating the process, but also, you know, knowing it's a big deal and there was, I can't, there was like a word. Oh, so you would constantly ask the players like to talk about their teammates because that's a really good way to get to know other players is by asking their teammates. And it's so funny. Everyone on that team would say like, oh, well, that guy, he's so goofy. That guy, he's so goofy. I was like, I'd never heard that word as much as I had in my life than when I was at the Combine. It was very cute. It was a lot of fun. It
0: well, that's what you get when you hang out with teenagers, <laughs> yeah, right? Um, geez, uh, when I you think know, about like,
1: it. I was like, Well, I can't be your mom, but it was getting up there. (laughs) Getting up
0: there. Well, we have a very exciting show this week, and I'm thrilled any time I get a chance to spend some time with a Hall of Famer. But not only, yes, yes, and and it never gets old, Amanda. (laughs) But we also will share the microphone with a hockey Hall of Famer, and also the president of HBSE, which is the company the ownership uh, Josh Harris David Blitzer uh, and their partners that oversee all of their sports empire uh, Hugh Weber joining us so we're going to get hockey we're going to get business we're going to get some laughs well we know all about uh, Marty Brodeur of course Hall of Famer more wins than any other goaltender in NHL history three-time Stanley Cup winner also a budding actor As we know, any vehicle he rents needs to have room for the big cups, and also Marty only drafts goalies. But uh, Marty, we'll talk a little bit about the draft and whether the Devils will go with Jack Hughes or Capo Caco, in your opinion, a little bit about your draft experiences, but I'm curious how did the acting bug come about? Was, was this just a, a product of who you are and your prominence?
2: Yeah. It's not really because I really want to follow a path to a, uh, to be a comedian or an actor or anything. I think it's one of those things that, uh, through my agency that, that take care of my stuff, they asked me, say, hey, would you like to do a, like a commercial for enterprise? I'm like, well, I had no clue if it was going to be funny or what kind of commercials. And, um, that's really how I started it. And I, I did one and, uh, I guess they liked it enough for me to do a second one, so it was good. It's been good. How yeah. long
1: do those shoots take? I have to know. How oh. long are you actually shooting that thirty-second spot?
2: So, well, so th- this is the this is the funny part. So I, I'm doing a uh, a French version, okay, Canadian English version, and an American version. Oh boy! So there's three different commercials plus tons of little stuff, uh, you know, around it. So it's about ten hours a day. And uh, it takes me two days, so 20 hours of, uh, of getting pampered to have my, my, old, my own trailer, yeah, yeah. Nice. change of clothes and everything. Just like working here.
3: Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost. <laughs> he wants to talk to you about that. Yeah. yeah, it's like, how about that trailer? <laughs> I don't see it yet. I was talking about the 10-hour days. That's <laughs> yeah. <what he> <laughs>
0: Well, my favorite line in all of that is, they treat me like a Hall of Famer which i, yes, I am, am. <laughs> i just the way you deliver it is is fantastic you call it acting he's
3: not acting that's just who that's, he is that's, a party. <laughs> yeah. that's how he walks in in his new yeah, role he exactly. walks into a and goes i'm a hall of famer
0: <laughs> but seriously uh, talk a little bit about your role it's not so much new anymore uh, what do you like about it and, and what what's going on in terms of what
2: we might see well, I think for me, just being back in New Jersey, I think early on was was kind of was really excited, and now I'm kind of getting used to be back. And it's it's obviously nice to to be part of uh, this franchise uh, once again. And uh, obviously, with with my role is a lot different than what I'm used to for, from my past experiences with hockey, uh, being a hockey player here in New Jersey, and you know, a little hockey department there in, in St. Louis. So to come back on the business side, it's a huge learning curve, but it's it's been great. I think you and and his group has been uh, really helpful uh, to help me out and and kind of getting my feet wet a little <laughs> bit and in, in certain circumstances that I'm not accustomed to. <laughs> and uh, you know, so far it's, it's been great.
0: Like what what would be a circumstance say that you're not used to or weren't used to and becoming more comfortable in?
2: Well, I mean, there's tons of little different. You know, as far as just you know. Going through meetings and kind of understanding what people are talking about a little bit, and then kind of follow through uh, on certain things that are are asked of of me to do uh, certain things. Um, like I said, everything is pretty simple right now. I'm sure that as as we go along, I'm gonna take on a little more, and uh, you know that's where it's gonna be the the challenge to see if I I was groomed the right way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this
1: might seem a very basic question, but why was it so important to bring Marty back into the fold when you did?
3: So it was a couple things. One is um, this the DNA of this franchise is built around not just Marty and what he's done on the ice, but his thinking, his championship pedigree. And I thought it was important for our executive staff as we continue to build the culture here to make sure that it wasn't a marriage of the past and the future, it's more a matter of like this is who we are and that kind of mindset in terms of how we are uh, going to create the new future of the Devils uh, was was critically important. The second thing was, you know, Marty and I had had a lot of conversations and he was looking for a challenge and he was, he was uh, authentic and real about his commitment to putting in the work and learning. Uh, and and humbling himself into maybe situations he hadn't been in before. Um, As he said, he's never really had a job before. So this was, uh, again, it it can be unnerving, I'm sure. So um, the fact that, again, he was 100% committed to something new, and this was, again, I think he has some natural skills and abilities that just lend him to uh, leadership, especially um, strategy and business, and the fact that, again, he's such an important part of the franchise, made it a perfect marriage. Marty
1: obviously talked about learning from you. What have you learned from working with Marty? I know it hasn't been that long, but certainly you're someone in my eyes who is constantly learning and, and grabbing things from different people.
3: So, so Marty has got a, an incredible um, you know, standard for himself, but also for others. So he, he's not willing, he, he will never ask anybody to do anything he's not willing to do himself. And I think that that's, uh, you know, how he has approached people. Um, I've always been amazed by Marty that he is attentive and caring to every single person that stops him. Um, and I actually get frustrated when we're <laughs> together, I'm like, come on, Marty, let's go, Like, we're going to be late <laughs> for dinner, come on, come on, Marty. And he stops, he's very, very patient. And so um, I think sometimes when we're doing our jobs and our work, we get lost in you know, kind of the work that we have to get done and our f- efficiency and effectiveness. And Marty has reminded me that, no, this is really about our connection to our fans and what we actually do represent something much bigger. So um, he keeps me grounded in that way, and, and um, so it's been a, a great balance.
1: Marty, where does that come from for you? Is that part of your upbringing? Where does that willingness and need to sort of connect like that?
2: Well, yeah, a little bit. I think, you know, I grew up in, in a sports family. Uh, obviously, a lot of people know about my, my dad and my brother, mm-hmm. and and so for me, uh those attention to detail was was uh the details was really important and 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 i made it you know it's hard as a hockey player to do because you know you're you got to play hockey you got to perform and and my dad was always like marty you got to be better you got to be better you got to make sure you say (laughs) hi make sure you, you stop you get you realize that you know you're People are living dreams through you. And so you got to pay attention to that. And so when I retired, uh, now it's like I felt a little less threatened by people around me. Mm -hmm. And I think now like that relationship, it's just a lot easier. It comes a lot easier for me to be able to interact. But I always done it to a level that was probably bigger than everybody else but it was never enough for my dad. <laughs> so now I'm sure he's, he's looking down and he's like, all right, he finally he's like, Welcome he gets to it. my life. <laughs> Nothing ever fi- good yeah. enough for my dad. Yeah, no, finally, finally he gets it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you did grow up in a sports family. Your dad, a noted photographer, not only a terrific athlete, uh, won a, an Olympic medal in goal for Canada, but also a renowned photographer yeah. for both the Montreal Canadiens and the Montreal Expos. Was there a player from either team, or maybe one from each, that he saw act that way he said listen this guy's really good but he's made time and you should be like that conversely was there somebody he said he's a star (laughs) but don't ever act like him because what's behind the curtain is not really pretty
2: so it's funny like I could never be Jean Beliveau to his eyes so that was the ultimate you know the ultimate gentleman the like the, the perfect athlete yeah uh he i thought like for him it was like gary carter that's that's a guy in, in, the kid. For the, yeah for the expos that uh that i feel I as closest as far as personality wise to him um and obviously the other guys i mean i can't pinpoint but it's funny because my dad did what he did uh he he had a lot of interaction with the players and he would come in sometimes he would be late for dinner and he would he would come in and he would say sorry you know this guy like you know, he came in and we told him to shave and he didn't shave and he had to go and it took him an hour and a half. So you know, so my dad had to stay an hour and a half to <laughs> wait for this guy. So without saying that he was a bad guy, it kind of was the message. <laughs> you like, knew, you know, you know. <laughs> So it's like, all right, so now I can't have dinner with my dad because this guy didn't want to shave, you know, because he, he was late to, to, for his meeting. So that's the kind of the things you learn when you're a kid and you take all in when you sit at the dinner table.
0: This is the Road to the Draft podcast. Matt Lachlan, along with Amanda Stein, our guests are Hugh Weber and Marty Brodeur. Uh, I mentioned earlier we're moving ever closer to June 21st. Everyone's excited about it, and understandably so. It seems to have taken forever (laughs) to get here, but it's one day at a time. Hugh, just what did it mean uh, to get that first pick and as you interact with Ray, or maybe you just leave Ratio and his staff alone, like what, what's it all about on the business side, personal side, hockey side?
3: Yeah, so uh, you know, people, I think you know, think about the draft as a weekend event, and it's actually a marathon, and that you're just showing up for the last 200 yards. When you <laughs> tune in, um, there's a tremendous amount of work that our scouts do all year round. Travel, the, the air miles that are put in, the hours, uh, the time away from family. To Marty's point. Uh, to get to the fact you've got good intelligence about, about these players. So what is my role in all this? So if you actually go back, um, you know, last season uh, we were coming off our playoffs, you know, a lot of excitement coming in. And as, as the play uh, as the season unfolded, we kind of knew where where our lot was. And so, again, even through the season there was some work to make sure that we were giving some of our younger players, you know, the ice time and, and doing the right things in development. Um So as we lead up to this time in the draft and you go to the draft lottery and you're, you know, potentially a top 10 pick, which is fine, and you go to Toronto and you get that lottery ball to hit your way, um, it it literally just accelerated and amplified everything we were doing because now we became uh, center stage for the hockey world in terms of uh, this incredibly world-class problem to have, which is the number one pick with, with the talent that's in this, um, this draft. So fast forward that now. It changes the, the, the way that our scouts and our, our scouting program and, and Ray and everyone else thinks about how you now reposition. So there's been a ton of work, a ton of analysis, all of which, again, is still being finalized. And um, so it it's feels like it's been more of a whirlwind than it has. I'm sure it looks very calm from the outside. Um, but it'll be a really exciting weekend and, a, and an incredible, pivotal weekend for this franchise.
1: And you're the one who knew before everybody yeah, else. I know we've talked about it, but <clears throat> can, can you sort of explain what that moment is where you're in that secluded room and you see the balls drop in our favor? Yeah. So <laughs>
3: unlike on television where they do them in reverse order, uh, they start with the number one pick and and what they hand you is a sheet of a thousand number combinations and as if I'm going to look at it and memorize them <laughs> yeah. all with your name next to them. And so these numbers came up, and I am candidly am half out of it. And then they name, they say the devils, and like, what? Uh, it's insane. So now you're actually – it's almost like watching the end of the movie first, and now mm-hmm. they actually come on with a national broadcast, and you're watching it live on TV, and you know the answer. <laughs> and it's, so it's pretty exciting. But they've taken your phone, and you can't tell anybody. <laughs> you can't call stopped. anybody. You can't tweet about it. You can't do anything. So – it's about the longest hour and a half of your life. <laughs> and
0: then the announcement is made, then you can't tell everybody. And Did, 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 did you have to fight the, the feeling? Because you're with other yeah. representatives. Yeah. Oh, there were some pretty disappointed people yeah, in that yeah, room. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah, people who had thought they would have a pretty good chance at the number one pick. And especially this draft where there was a lot of, you know, um, you know information out about who would be potentially available and... So, yeah, you, you have a tempered response that you are full of excitement, but you don't want to rub it in anybody else's face yeah, out it, of respect. It's kind of like the handshake
0: at the end of a Stanley Cup playoff. <laughs> yeah. Like you're bubbling inside, but you're like, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Good, good series, good series. And you're like, yeah, we won! <laughs> <laughs> uh, how has it affected a business? I imagine there's much more interest. It's part of – it's just another – notch in the belt so to speak I mean so much work has been done to this point but I imagine it's increased interest on that side yeah
3: so the work that we're doing that Ray's doing and his team to uh, you know set the the culture and build the the talent that's going to come up through this the system the identity that John Hines talks about the culture that he's been able to maintain that's been percolating and brewing for a long time and I think our fans are appreciative of that they see what we're doing it's not like this is just a, a one shot wow we got the number draft pick isn't that interesting So I think that people have the context that this is something that's going to fit into a bigger picture. And so, um, you know, fans initially right off the bat, ticket sales went up. I think we're, you know, the top five or six in the league right now in new ticket sales. Um, And that's all great. But I think it's part of a larger narrative is my point that. A few other things, a few other players that might have been drafted in the last couple of years, um, we were hopeful that can also be contributors next year. And so now it's not just one player making an impact. As you know, in hockey, is pretty difficult. But you've got a collection of players that are potentially creating a new path for us.
0: No question. We've had a chance to uh, appear in certain events in front of season ticket members. And they ask questions we talk about, or you, and or Kenny Danico, or whomever uh, is part of the uh, Daeus that night talk about what's going on, but you had an interesting response most recently, or maybe you just it wasn't even to a question, you just pointed out about John Hines right. and and the corporate philosophy not only about hiring the best and sticking with them, but I thought it spoke not only about the respect that you have for John Hines and the organization does, but really what the organization's philosophy is about hiring the best, and I'm just wondering if you can share yeah, that here. Yeah, so,
3: so it starts with Josh Harris and David Butzer, who in their 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 business lives have had a pretty uh, predictable formula for success, which is you hire amazing people, you give them resources, and you get out of their way and let them do their jobs. And even when things might not, you know, in a short-term trend the right way, if you've had those three things in place, you use the, that, that patience is an arbitrage that will, you know... That's why John was... Um, you know, we, we extended John's contract this year. That's why we, you know, we extended Ray's contract. When many teams might look at a patch like this and say, "Oh, we took a step backwards. We need a change." And we think that kind of continuity uh, is how you build uh, long-term sustain, sustain success, both on and off the the, the ice. And so, I think. Um, you know, if you look at uh, what John was able to do this particular year, good coaches can coach good teams for, for sure. But when teams struggle and you see him hold the culture and accountability and, you know, the kind of effort that you saw our players push, even when things necessarily weren't pushing for something substantial, and that's the presence that John Hines has. He's a, uh, he's a developer of talent, but he's also someone who's highly committed to um, continuing to learn himself. Um, and we saw that in, in the World Championships this year as well, those opportunities he puts himself in. And so that's the type of people we try to align with.
1: Marty, for you, having been a player and now being on the business side of things, was there something that surprised you that you didn't know kind of happened behind the scenes? Because we talk about the culture and all that. But I imagine when you're a player, you're just in that zone. You're in the locker room and you don't really think about all the other external parts of the organization.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a big learning curve. Like Regardless if you're... You go on the hockey operations side like as a player you don't know what these guys are going through like you barely know how much your coaches are really working Yeah, you know what I mean a coach works or spend more time at the ring than a player so that's why I never wanted to be a coach <laughs> so you skip right over the coaching part right to the executive suite hey, you were always were among the smartest in the room that's for sure but a lot of things like that that you don't realize as a player because you're so focused on on, on performing and, and doing the right thing for for your team and yourself and your family. You know, time you whenever you have time off, you're making sure you're spending with your family. Um, but when you're on the operations side or on the business side, there's a lot of stuff, you know. And, and obviously, the business side is a little different because the the winning and losing doesn't affect you as much. Right. Uh, obviously, with the hockey operation, if you're close. It, it it does affect you, but sometimes you're gonna go work and you're not gonna be present to see the mood, mm-hmm. and that's what the big adjustment when you retire. It's that feeling that 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 you have that you're competitive, you win, everybody's happy, you lose, you kind of keep people accountable. So that's kind of the adjustment when you kind of leave the game a little bit and you and you move on to a different role in hockey. It changes uh, with the positions that you, you you take on a little bit, but you still have. Um, the attachment to the team, and that's what to me it means a lot to be back because you're still now for four years. I couldn't really care much about the Devils. Not not that I didn't care about them, but I was working for the Blues. Now it's like it, I couldn't care less what's going on with the Blues, <laughs> and they're probably gonna win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> and to, you know, back back forward or whatever, go backwards a year and. I would have been so stressed right now. I would be in Boston right now, you know, just going crazy. So now I'm just saying, you know, it's yeah. good
3: podcast with you guys. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> much much more easier. Yeah, exactly. yeah, much easier to do that.
0: For sure. But you must have some sense, even though this is your focus now, like there's a little party in yeah. there. You, you have to be happy for Doug Armstrong and the guys and what they've done. Or no, or have you been able to cut the court entirely?
2: Well, I cut the cord pretty good, but I'm I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited for them because I know how hard they work. Yeah. I think yeah. the the people around Doug and Doug himself. I think put a lot of pressure into building a successful franchise. I think the, their ownership has done a lot of different things, and they've tried a lot of different avenues to to win a Stanley Cup. You know, they've never won a Stanley Cup in that town. You know, and they they they're going crazy. Like I said, it was in hard. It was pretty hard when July first they had to. Billy up seven point five million dollars for o- Ryan O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. Like the ownership they made commitment in winning, and now you know they're two games away from from meeting their goal. So you've got to be happy for them. You know, but at the end of the day, it won't change my life. Too I hear much. you, <laughs> and and
0: obviously for those who are listening, we are recording this the morning of Game Five, but yeah. it's been a heck of a series, no question. So uh, draft stories, 1990, you were selected by the New Jersey Devils. What do you remember about that draft?
2: Well, uh, I traveled across the country from Quebec all the way to Vancouver with my dad. Is that
0: the first time you were in Vancouver?
2: Uh, Yeah. I've been to Calgary a few times, but I've never been all the way to Vancouver. Um, So my agent brought me in uh, with my dad and spent... We were there probably four days before the draft. Got a lot of meetings. There was only twenty-one teams, so it was not too long <laughs> to go through every team compared to now. With I was going to say now some kids that we
1: interviewed at the combine, yeah. they're like, "Oh, I went through thirty-one interviews." I was like, oh my "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you didn't have that lot, option." A lot different,
2: and we, we didn't have a combine. Thank <laughs> God. <laughs> we, uh, you know, we we had uh, individual tests. So I would go to the Nordiques and mm-hmm. have my own test there, go to Devils I have my own test there. So it was a little different the way they, they did it. Um, but it was it was, a great, it was a great week. I was with uh, probably four or five guys that my agent brought in, and I was supposed to get drafted. I was ranked 30th overall out of 21 teams, so I thought I was going to go in the second round. Um, I was the second goalie. Uh, just behind Trevor Kidd. And I just sat there and not really nervous because I didn't think I was going to draft in <laughs> the first round. And my name, well, it was a trade that happened. It kind of triggered a little bit of my mind because the Devils kind of moved up a little higher than they were. And I said, oh, maybe that's because they want to pick me there. And... Obviously that happens, so it happened, so it's pretty cool.
1: What did you know of New Jersey you know, like you get picked and then you're like, I have to uproot my, my life. I'm going somewhere else, I'm going to a different country and
2: Yeah. Well, I didn't I didn't know much about New Jersey. <laughs> I I barely knew it was around New York City. <laughs> like seriously.
0: You and can't uh, Danico share that experience. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Aiden, I, I like I like, really
2: had no going? clue and it's my age is like it's good. It's an American dollars, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, it's one of those things that that I didn't really care where I was going to get drafted. Obviously, when you're French Canadian, your dream is to get yeah. drafted the, the, by the Montreal Canadiens. They they passed me, so I knew I was not going to get drafted by them. Uh, but it was a great. Uh, it was when I I got to meet uh, a lot of the staff before because they interviewed me a lot during the season. Uh, Marshall Johnson was part of it. David Conti was part of it. Claude Carrier was part of it. Uh, Warren's trailer was the goalie coach at the time for the devils. And I guess Lou gave him a mandate to go see Trevor kid, spend a week in, in Brandon, Manitoba and spend a week in, in St. Eisen where I played junior hockey and he must've must, must have liked me better than Trevor <laughs> because they, they made that move. But so I got to meet a lot of the staff before, so I was really comfortable. So when I got to the table, um, you know, familiar faces and, that's where I met Marie for the first
3: time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, he's a <laughs> yeah, we love, we we love love <laughs> administrative <laughs> assistant, more than a
0: little bit of a of a little
1: bit so I just got back from the combine and these kids are just under such immense pressure at 18 years old. Do you think that it's different now versus when you got drafted? The amount of pressure that those kids face leading up to their draft and obviously with social media and that it changes yeah. things, but
2: it's it's totally different. The fact is like I didn't know anybody in yeah. my draft year. These guys know each other a lot because mm-hmm. they've been competing with each other since they're 16 years old, or some of them 14 years old. Uh, regardless if it's in the program in in the U.S. or Team Canada or even in Europe, and they play against each other in tournaments, so they have an idea who they're who they're competing against to to get drafted. Us like I. Like, I didn't know Jager. Like, I didn't know Keith Primo. Like, didn't, <laughs> I was the only French guy. I think it was one more French guy, maybe Carl Deikhaus. I think I drafted yep. uh, my year. So it, it's totally different. It's more of a uh, – I think guy, kids are a lot more prepared yeah. uh, to answer questions and, and and act a certain way in front of these interviews Because I've, like I said, I've I've been in St. Louis, so I've done three drafts, and I've been in those rooms when the kids come in, and it's amazing. The the you know, regardless of the agent that they have, you know whose agent he does the way he responds. Sometimes you know their personality doesn't come up. A lot of guy European players, it's it's pretty tricky. It's but it's nerve wracking. You could tell they come in and. They they're just coached real well, and it's too bad because they can't be themselves. It, and I guess obviously later on, mm-hmm. you know, they, they get comfortable, but it's uh, it's different. Yeah, for
0: sure. I, I wonder how Yaramir Yager was compared to. <laughs> how he actually I don't, was. I, 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 yeah. I don't think he showed up for in the interviews. I, that's that's I, my didn't case. glad now yeah, he, he didn't show up. Well, it was a very good draft. You know, uh, Yager went, uh, Owen Nolan went number one, of course, and Peter Nedved was in a draft yourself. Daryl Sidor, you mentioned Keith Primo, Keith Kachuk. I mean, that that was a hell of a class. Everyone talks about two thousand three more recently, but that ninety class produced some at least in the first round. I'm not even going deep. I'm just yeah. saying in that first round, that was a heck of a draft.
2: Yeah, there was there was some good players. Like looking back, you never know when you you, you know the draft happens and what what's going to happen with these players. But uh, I mean, the the, the teams had it pretty good because there's not many guys that missed on on, on that list.
0: Did you know that the Devils uh, you had talked about how they had. Scouted you and, you and followed you for that week and all that sort of stuff, but that they made that deal. Like, did you know what was swirling about that Calgary really wanted the local kid, Trevor Kid, and uh, the Devils were willing to facilitate that, and they knew then that they had a shot at you.
2: Yeah, but like I said, I didn't really pay attention too much because I was ranked thirtieth. I mean, so it's a long ways to go from 30 to 12, especially for a goalie. And um, and this is before the internet too, so like information sources were different. About Calgary when they made the move, we had a good relationship with Cliff Fletcher, so that was kind of. But it was like 12. There's no way. So (laughs) (laughs) that's for that's for one second. But uh, obviously, like I said, like Montreal was just before the Devils, so I was like, you know, I know they made the move, but they still had to go through Montreal. But Patrick was. You know, this is 1990. Patrick was yeah. a, a young goalie, you know, and, and he was up and coming. So, good thing they didn't draft me. <laughs> I was going to say, you both <laughs> I did been okay. Stuck, I you been both stuck did in okay in the guy. end. Well, there, there's an
0: opportunity there. But Turner Stevenson, of course, became a, a devil eventually yeah, yeah, and, and a good a friend. Good yeah. friend. So, it's interesting how that works out. But the Devils also weren't 100% sure. They knew they had a good one. That's why they drafted in the first round. But they also drafted two goalies later in that draft. So, yeah. you just never know how things are going to work out.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> I guess they have a lot of confidence in me. <laughs> <ain't they? laughs> <laughs> well, I know Lewis said that. If we if we knew he was a Hall of Famer, we would have to the other two guys. But uh and That's Mike Dunham, I
0: have to get that right, and Corey Schwab. (laughs) Every once in a while, I throw the Devils goalie development coach Scott Clementson in there, but it's wrong. It's Dunham and Schwab.
1: And one of the exciting things for this draft is, and that we didn't have last year's. we have a ton of picks. The Devils have 10 picks in the draft, three second-round picks. I mean, this is exciting, especially when they consider it such a deep draft. I mean, Hugh, for you to know, I mean, you're not making hockey decisions, but to Uh know that there's this ability to restock the cupboard even more. How exciting is that for the franchise?
3: Yeah. So, so we've been working Ray and I, uh, with Josh and David on how this team is accumulating assets. So we see these draft picks as assets, all of which, you know, we have our pro scouts in this week, some, which may be actually deliverable on draft day, or some of them could be used as assets leading up to the draft with potential teams with, with folks already in the the league. So, uh, we look at it as how we're using all of these, you know, resources to actually help Ray get, you know, and Ray and then John ultimately uh, get the right folks on this roster to compete at a high level.
0: What kind of questions does ownership ask? Do you ask? Uh, how detailed does it get into? the players themselves or is it more you guys know that but here's what our philosophy is how does it fit into what we're trying to do here
3: so what's what's fascinating uh, about Josh and David is these are guys that are, are looking at lots of different businesses uh, at a really high volume at a pretty voracious velocity so they have the ability to, to take in a lot of information so it's not so much that tell me about this specific player but tell me how you're thinking about this particular pick or tell me how you're thinking about optionality of what you would do if somebody you really wanted was available, and how would you maybe? What kind of resources would you use to get them? And so it's it's more about how we're positioning and thinking through. So how the sausage is made, they're really interesting interested in how that comes together. And of course, as you said, they trust Ray and and John and the, and the folks that that assess talent to say, yeah, that's that's a special. That's that's a higher value than we would put on this other thing. So, um, but in, at that level incredibly engaged. Mm. Uh, Ray and I meet with him uh, quite often, and they are uh, curious and insightful and... um and it's the kind of uh, partners you want to have, candidly.
0: And accountability is a word that they use often. I mean, they're just not giving you free reign to do what you yeah, think is right.
3: And, and, and by the way, you know, I've, I've worked for you know different folks that have invested in teams and 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 been in that position before. And some of them really do fancy themselves as experts, and they, they don't necessarily fancy themselves as experts. Whether it's ticket sales or sponsorship or entertainment or hockey players. It, they, are, they have this same process and curiosity that they, again, push us to get to. And so um, to me, it's, 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 it's energizing, inspiring to be able to partner with people who are going to, as you said, hold us accountable, but also make us think differently. There's things that we walk to work every day that are assumptions and biases that we just commonly have. And sometimes they'll ask a question. You're like, huh, you know what? I didn't think about it that way. And you're right. I should, you know.
1: Hugh, where did you start? Like, what brought you to where I uh, might be? A long <laughs> it, all began. it all began. No, but do you know how old I am? No, <laughs> no I don't, and I wouldn't even <laughs> venture a guess. I'm good. No. I'm good. But how did you get to this position where you are right now?
3: Um, I've worked in sports for you know a couple decades, so it's it's, it's um, I've learned over time to make the quick answer uh working with good people on complicated problems and and is is where i really feel my most uh my best self and so when josh and david whom i had known through the nba in the past um uh, decided to make the investment to buy the devils 6 years ago Um, And knowing that the history and tradition of the Devils is is being tremendous and yet also understanding being in pro sports, the challenges that the the New Jersey market sometimes can be not just for hockey, but for basketball. And and, and so to me, it was a combination of great people, Josh and David, Scott O'Neill, CEO, and a really interesting time for this franchise to be able to you know, kind of uh, helped lead it in a certain way, got me to this chair today.
1: What makes it unique to work in hockey? Because you've worked in other leagues. What is unique about the hockey world? So yeah, I
3: get asked a, a lot about, Ha, what do you like better? What sport? And I, I would say what I uh, I love about ho- the culture of hockey is uh, it has it, it been amazing to be a part of. Um, I think that the, the the aspect that you have your superstars like Marty who are like, identify themselves as part of a group as a part of as opposed to the individual who's making things happen and not every not every league is that way not every and 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 that's just natural that's just it's just different um but that is a philosophy that it goes from the gms to the coaches to the everyone on staff it's a family and you know that it's not all that always that way in every league and i would say other leagues have other benefits you know that it's more of a show it's more entertaining it's more whatever Um, but, but, but regardless, being a a part of this family and being, you know, kind of accepted into hockey, which again, I think, I think I naturally share many of the values and mindsets, um, I, I think as a team member first. And so it was a kind of a really easy transition for me.
0: That being said, and Gary Bettman has done a magnificent job of expanding the footprint of the National Hockey League, not only throughout North America, but around the world and, too often, he does not get credit uh, from the fans, particularly. like They want that old-school thought. And listen, what he has done for this league I think it just becomes sport be to boo him. him. Yeah. I, 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 well, you
1: that, know that, when, that, when he gets on stage at the draft, that's the first thing that happens. <laughs> and I think he looks forward to it in some way. He it in way. good stride. And he, he has, a, good, think, he has like a couple zingers it, that he throws out, too.
3: No, he did go to the Hall of Fame with Marty, I will say that. Yeah. <laughs> <That's
1: true>. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what I bring up is... This can be viewed as a traditionalist sport. You talked about the family atmosphere and other sports, a little more about the entertainment. Do you think, is there talk among your fellow executives around the league that this league needs a little bit more of that pizzazz? I think we're seeing it a little bit. And how do you fight against the old view that, no, this is hockey, this is how you do it, this is how Gordie Howe did it, this is how Wayne Gretzky did it, this is how Marty Brodeur did it, and right. this is how you're going to do it, Nico Heesha.
3: So I think there's a marriage between the two. I think that what you're describing is how are the superstars that have built the NHL to be what it is. Um, I think that the values and how they, they value their teammates and how they work together and and, and the the um, respect they have for the game is something that every kid, every it's entertaining, it's something that everybody would want to be associated with. I think there's a number of things that are happening in our our social world that are actually perfect for hockey. So I would say that it's not a matter of more sizzle or more entertainment. It's the fact that I think fans want to be personally engaged with the personalities, with the people who actually they admire for what they can do with their skills. And so with social media and with, uh, players taking on their personalities in different ways, whether it's commercials for, you know, rent cars or if it's, um, <laughs> if it's, you know, you see what the NHL is doing in some of their, their recent footage of, of how they're featuring the personalities of these guys. I think that, coupled with the fact you have a fast sport that is, you know, doesn't have a lot of timeouts and interruptions, um, it's better live, you know. And so all of those things for the Generation Z and the Millennials, like, it's perfect. You know, so hockey is incredibly well positioned um, as interesting content for the generations coming. And I don't, I don't think you need to jump toward that by sacrificing all the values and things that made hockey so great.
0: Yeah, I didn't think it was either or necessarily, yeah. but, you know, push the envelope a little bit. It's such a great sport. We should let more and more people in and let them know all about it. So, Let's get to the important Ooh. stuff. That's It's the Road to the Draft yeah. podcast. Almost there. Oh Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Almost there. We saved the best for last. So your thoughts on who will go number one, Marty, and what do you like about the candidates? There are two of them. You know, what, <laughs> Putting what, you on the slot there. What am I hiding from anybody? We Next know question. Yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> you, you know, it, it, it's a tough one. Obviously, uh, Jack Hughes is uh, the most popular Pick from from everybody that I've heard around the league, or walking around fans here, and everybody's, like, you guys are gonna pick Jack Hughes? Like I don't know who we're gonna pick. Uh, I could just kind of evaluate both players and just kind of give you my my two cents on it. I think Jack, for me, I've seen him when he was uh, a year younger than than he is now, so and I saw him play against older players at that time, and he wilded me. Uh, I think his skill, the way he skates, uh, the way he glides on the ice, uh, his hockey skill is how competitive he is Um, got to know his dad a little bit through through his agent uh, about a year ago now you know fast forward to now saw what he did at the world under 18 uh, breaking all kind of records and stuff himself to go to the you know the the men's world uh, that's not something that's easy at that age Especially on north, north American teams compared to European teams is so different. So I'm going back to Kako now soon. Uh but I, I feel that, you know, he's he's gonna be an impactful player. Obviously his size could be something that, that makes a big difference when you start comparing Kako to him. Uh I think Kako I've never seen him play until the world and it was he's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. he he was pretty good too. So uh that's why I don't make that decision. <laughs> yeah. That's why somebody's paying, paying the big bucks to make it. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like, fair like, enough. I World class Marty. problem to have. Mean, it is but, a nice problem. Yeah.
0: And you know, every fan who's listening is going to parse for a pause. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> what word did he emphasize? I mean, the fans are so interested in it. But I think what's been emphasized is you don't, you can't go wrong. Both are, both are really good kids. Exactly. And,
1: and what is it like knowing that, you know, right across the river – is yeah. where the other guy is going to go because there's such a rivalry between the two teams. This is just going to add a whole other element from your perspective, Hugh. Like, how do you feel about that? Obviously, you don't want your competitors to get better, but it's going to happen.
3: Yeah, so I think that there's a, a narrative setting up that, that'll that perhaps go through these guys' careers. I mean, right, because if this, let's be honest, if the Anaheim Ducks had the second pick, it would not be yeah. the same Maybe level of of um, I don't know drama that's behind behind this first choice. So, but I would say generally, like I, I think both both markets are great. I think it's going to actually help us as a business because mm-hmm. everyone loves a good story, and and as as we said, we're going to have an improved team regardless. So,
0: and that is the bottom line. Hugh, thanks very much for nice sharing of, some nice time to today. Uh, Marty, thank you very much. And as this drops. You will be very much involved with Kevin Smith, so I think we're all excited about your uh, your uh, was it Bug G? Is that what it's called? Pub Pub Pug, Pug G? Pug G. Pug uh, G. Yeah. Oh man! I, I, don't I don't even know, know either. <laughs> either. I, you know, I, I, I feel shame, but I think
2: I've uh, shown my demographic there. But what's that all about? I just uh, one of those little projects we have with with Amazon Gaming okay. uh, that uh, we'll be playing some video games alongside uh, Taylor Hall and and Kevin Smith and uh should be fun are you good
1: video gameplay is that no no, okay fair (laughs) enough all right (laughs)
2: just so if there's outside that do not bet on me (laughs) well again thanks to you and
0: uh, thanks to Marty and uh, again we appreciate your insights thanks guys
3: appreciate it
0: so it's not (laughs) buggy
1: You really dated yourself, Annie. I, I didn't even venture. I was just like, I don't even know what you guys are talking about. Like, I'm not a video game person. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Wait, you know what? I give you props for trying. Listen, <laughs> give that's, you props that's it. For trying. Just throw it out
0: there, and let's see. And we wish Marty the best of luck.
1: Did you play video games? Like, cause
0: you know what? I was. I wasn't
1: gonna say when you were a kid. I did play. But...
0: I did play some video games, but pinball. Oh. Okay, so just kind of figure that out. We go to, like, out. the
1: vintage bars these exactly. days.
0: <laughs> you know, barcade. Like, Yeah, yeah, you, you pull know, you the put, little trigger, your, right? Ex- exactly. You put your quarter on, like, you would have next. Yeah. Two, two players, two guys, generally. Every once in a while, there'd be a woman, but generally two guys playing each other. And whoever won kept the table. And then you would throw your quarter in. He'd throw his quarter oh. in, and you kind of compete against each other. And it was, it was fun. <laughs> that was your... So, for <laughs> everyone listening, you can Google... Pinball, the early version of video games.
1: <laughs> oh Maddie.
0: <laughs> but I was okay. I was pretty good. Well, good. That's all, right. all that matters. That's it. But now video games are out. I leave that to my children. Anyway, that'll do it for this <laughs> week's show. You had fun?
1: I did. I did. Always so much fun to chat with these guys. And it's so nice just to, you know, sit around a table, share stories like that, and they're just they're just so much fun. Yeah, it's absolutely.
0: Like- totally enjoyable. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye bye.